Hello and welcome to the show. Well, this was a fun one. Jay Dyer, the man is an author, comedian, podcaster, overall brilliant guy. So I read his first book, this one, Esoteric Hollywood, uh, where he tackles movies and themes of cults and sex and the occult. And uh, so we discussed that book in here, but there's also a part two and there's so much material on his website. So we really just scratched the surface of a lot of the stuff he talks about and deals with. And this is really more of a beginner's look at a lot of these complex topics, but we cover movies in Hollywood, the government, technology, media, serial killers, aliens, demons, and so much more. So I have a lot of Googling and reading to do after listening to this episode. He references a lot of books and movies as well as his own work in this episode. So I'm going to have to try and go back and read all that stuff and watch that stuff that he's referencing. Uh, But it really was a lot of fun chatting with Jay. And hopefully I don't look too stupid in comparison to him because he's a really smart guy, very well read. And I think he's one of the best at what he does. So me trying to discuss these topics with him is kind of like me trying to play basketball with LeBron James. Uh, Thankfully, I let him do most of the talking. It's a lot of fun. Just definitely don't listen to this one before you go to bed or you'll never get to sleep. Welcome, Jay Dyer, to the Chuck Shoe Podcast. How you doing? Doing great. Got I'm your soap in my eye, okay. crying, weeping, <laughs> burning, moaning, but I'm doing good other than that. Okay. So yeah, I do want to, um, well, obviously we're going to get into your book. I, I read it. It's fascinating. Um, oh, but cool. before that, um, I just had a little bit of, I want to get a little bit of background on you because I know you were, you know, you attended a gifted elementary school program, but what else can you tell me about your childhood? Like, were you raised in a religious family or like, what did your parents do? I'm just curious, like how you came to be this, what you've become. Uh, my dad was in the military, so I was oh. raised as a military brat, I guess they say. And then uh, we lived in California, so he was stationed at the naval base in San Diego. So that's how I ended up in a kind of a weird new age uh, elementary school program for so-called gifted kids. And then um, we were not exceptionally religious, just kind of normal Baptists, I guess you'd say. Uh, we didn't go every Sunday. We went here and there. Um, and then over time, I just got, you know, more interested in that stuff after high school. And I just, you know, I kept all of my same interests. In fact, the elementary school that I was placed in was an, a, a performing arts elementary school for gifted kids. So I hmm. guess I was always uh, supposed to be some kind of, I don't know, <laughs> new age, uh, new world order agent. For the, I don't know, <laughs> what, like an Illuminati programmed uh, child actor. I don't know what I was supposed to be. Okay. So were you, so like these movies that you mentioned in your book and stuff, you were allowed to watch those as a kid and everything. Your parents, like they weren't that strict. They let you watch movies. No, I didn't. They weren't like fundamentalist Baptists. Okay. No. So, no. Yeah. So, we, we went to movies. I grew up with pop culture. Yeah. Yeah. I, my undergrad is in uh, philosophy and history. And then my master's all the thesis is in uh, English and philosophy. Right. Okay. And so that's, and then you started getting into and started doing these. Um, when did you start your website then? The Jay analysis. Jay's analysis was started in uh, 2011 or 10. Okay. And I had a previous blog before that. And then, uh, but I didn't keep that blog going because um, I had some weird things happen at the time and I just didn't want to keep doing it. And I changed some of my views too. So I re- rebranded it just to be my own personal blog in 2010 or 11. And it, it kind of took on a life of its own. 
Okay. So then this book, so let's talk about the book. So how many total sources do you have for this book? Cause I, I mean, I count like 20 or 30 per chapter. You, you put the uh, sources at the end of each chapter, mm-hmm. but I didn't add up. Do you know how many you had total? I mean, it's pretty impressive. Uh, about 400, I think 363, 400, somewhere in there. Wow. That's a lot. So you read all that stuff or whether well, was- some of those were, yeah, well, some of those were like undergrad <laughs> and grad school essays that turned into, uh, chapters in the book. And then some of them were written later. And, um, I just, I wrote, I'd written hundreds of essays from, I don't know, age 25 to 35. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of picked out the ones I thought were the best and I tweaked them and I added new ones. And so it was just kind of a collection of essays. Okay. So before we get into the book, some of the thing, the themes that, you know, some of the things you mentioned multiple times, like Bohemian Grove, can you explain to some people what that is? Um, I mean, I think some people might just have a very, a very vague understanding of it, but maybe you could explain a little better. Yeah, about uh, late 1800s, uh, some of the uh, West Coast elites set up a kind of a fraternal um, secret meeting out in the, the groves, Bohemian Grove. And it does have a direct reference to kind of ancient pagan ideas of um, this sort of worship out in the groves or the high places on the mountains, out in the, in the fields and whatnot. And the the Bohemian Club started because there were there were these artist types, art art circles that were Bohemian, I guess you could say, and and they had a direct connect to some of the elite at the time, who started this secret club. And over time, it became kind of a, a it originally it had a really high level of Druidic influence. Um, over time, I think that kind of dwindled to be less relevant, um, and then it just kind of became a club for mainly kind of neocons, uh, the neoconservative uh, arm of the the power establishment, um, Reagan's, the Nixon types, the um, corporate elite. Uh, I mean, there's left-wing kind of groups that meet that are also global elite, and then there's right-wing types. And I say that very loosely because they're not really right or left-wing. They're just two arms of the same kind of creature, but uh, yeah, so this late 1800s that Bohemian Grove starts, and they would do these sort of rituals of mock human sacrifice. I don't know that there's any evidence of a real human sacrifice. That was probably disinfo, but um, but yeah, so that's what it is. It's kind of just kind of a neoconservative meeting uh, meeting place. Um, things like the Star Wars Defense Initiative were birthed there. Uh, other pro- uh, programs under the Reagan administration were birthed at Bohemian Grove. So I think Kissinger has been there, you know, many times. So that's what you're looking at with Bohemian Grove. What is it? And what is it today? Is it still a place where people go? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think everybody knows Alex Jones infiltrated it back in 2002, three, somewhere in there, maybe. Um, And yeah, as far as I know, it still has yearly, yearly meetings of, again, sort of the neoconservative elites, Mm -hmm. but uh uh, some of those big, big ones like Bilderberg or Bohemian Grove, uh, they probably don't have the same degree of power and influence that they had maybe 20 or 30 years ago, just because there's a lot of kind of mainstream attention and, and people know about it now. It's kind of entered into the mm. pop consciousness. And so my guess would be that there's separate conclaves that they have right, different kinds of meetings. Now, in fact, even the Vatican attended Bohemian Grove last year. Oh, wow. Not Bohem- excuse me, not Bohemian Grove, Bilderberg. Okay. So yeah, so these cults and rituals and the Satanism, like you said, there's basically kind of two or two main people that kind of started this Anton Levy. And he was kind of more like uh marketing. Oh, this is not, this is not, this is a CBD. This oh, okay. is not- <laughs> 
I no, hey, it's legal here. I don't know. We don't. I don't judge. Uh, but then there's the other guy, Alistair Crowley, and he was kind of more into the magic. So, what do you believe? Do you believe that some of the saintness, this ritualistic stuff, is this just more for marketing and for show, or do you believe that that they're really communicating with Satan, or or do they think they're really communicating with Satan or dark spirits or something like that? I think there's all manner of things going on. So all of the above, um, I think Anton LaVey's group is more of an outer sphere of kind of pop culture, atheism and ran type philosophy. Um, although I'm, I'm sure some of the people in that group take it to a degree seriously. I think mm-hmm. a lot of these groups have inner cores, like concentric circles okay. that take things more seriously. Um, so I don't, I don't typically think the church of Satan itself as an organization is that, uh, serious about their ritual magic, but then groups like the OTO or the, the groups that follow a temple of set like Michael Aquino, I think they take it a little more serious in the sense of actually being theistic Satanists where they believe that there are real beings, you know, demons, et cetera, that they try to invoke. And a lot of those groups, for example, Crowley was a big proponent of using drugs to achieve an altered state of consciousness to try to interact with and uh, invoke and actually become kind of energized or possessed by the different God forces or demons or spirits or whatever you want to call them. So I think, again, all of the above, some of the groups take it more seriously than others. And I think at the elite level, you have all the above as well. I think, Hmm. you know, some of the, the really power elite types take it seriously. They're very eccentric. We've seen actually many cases of this kind of stuff come out of wealthy, powerful elite people who take their Satanism seriously in fact, I've been doing a whole series on uh, the serial killers, diving really deep into all their backstories. And many of the serial killers, for example, uh, tend to be connected to high level elites and they tend to have a not all the time, but in many cases, a very serious attitude towards their occultism and their Satanism. So, again, all the above. Uh, but then some some of them, I think well, somebody like David Rockefeller, he seems to just be kind of a generic atheist. He doesn't I can't mm-hmm. find any direct occult connection with uh, somebody like david rockefeller yeah, but i think he's been to, he, he's he's helped start bilderberg and he's been to bohemian grove i'm pretty sure so what was the thing you, you mentioned in the book about crowley and he was uh he was in some room with a guy and he tried to summon the god pan and the the other guy he was with ended up dead and crowley was like went crazy and ended up in a mental asylum but they never pinned the murder on him i couldn't find right, anything uh, about that well, because there's so there was an incident with Victor Newberg, uh, who was one of the people that he would regularly uh, do butt stuff with, because in the Crowley, the Crowley system, butt stuff gives you special insights and magic and it huh. opens up certain uh, pathways. Um, so there's the incident with uh, Victor Newberg. There's another incident with um, Crowley going out in the desert and trying to contact Karanzun uh, with a multiple day long ritual of crossing the abyss. Uh, so, but there's also some things with Crowley that make you think that maybe even he didn't necessarily take all this stuff that serious because in one of the books, Lieber Alvel Legas or something like that, if I'm going from memory, it's been a while since I looked at this, but he yeah. says something at the very beginning, like, um, in this book, you will find all these different magic rituals and pathways. He says, it doesn't really matter whether they're real or not. <laughs> he says they may not be. So sometimes even he maybe seems to be skeptical and he was somewhat of a showman. So it's hard to know even how seriously he took it. But in the case that you're referring to, I do remember him being involved in a ritual or something like that happened, but I don't remember if 
I mean, I don't know that he actually murdered somebody, but I wouldn't be surprised. And there are rumors that mm. he was involved in human sacrifice because in magic theory and practice, he, he does talk about the power of, of, of that kind of a sacrifice. So I wouldn't be wow. surprised, but I don't know the exact details. So then when we get into your book in terms of like Hollywood and their role in this whole thing is that you talk about like Hollywood is it's Babylon. It's the gate to the gods. And then a lot of this started with, uh, this is really interesting with theater in Greece. That was their way of communicating the stories from the gods of the heavens and then showing that to everyone else. And so that's kind of like Hollywood is the modern day version of that. Yeah. I found a, a, a lesser known, um, dialogue by plato called ion uh, yes. when i was doing my undergrad that i read and in ion plato talks about invoking the how the reason he says that artists don't need to run society is because they try to invoke a muse or a spirit that possesses them to give them the creativity and he says that that's irrational and so society has to be governed by strict you know mm. categories of reason and so it's irrational if you let you know artists right you can't let Lil wayne and led zeppelin run society because they're <laughs> they're possessed right <laughs> right I mean, that's that's the argument plato makes which is funny but um then he also goes on to talk about like in the republic that uh you got to have a myth that's like a made-up civic myth or religion that the state runs or controls and that that will help keep people kind of corralled and they'll all fall in line and it's called the noble lie, right? And he even talks about this elaborate story of a magic ring. It sounds like Lord of the Rings almost. I feel like Tolkien probably borrowed from that because there's this ring that's this story that makes people invisible and stuff like that. But wow. so, um, yeah, so so Plato seems to have thought that um, the, the myths have to be tightly controlled and turned into state-approved myths to propagate the ideal republic, right? So... Mm-hmm. So that's why Plato comes into this. That's why the Greeks were so um, intent on, you know, invoking the gods in the 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 plays, uh, because they. In, and there's another idea too of dramaturgy, where you're actually kind of bringing the magic power of the gods into reality via the play, and then you're kind of programming the people with the story of the play. That's what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Okay. So then, how so does you see why you could see why we would people would apply that to Hollywood because Hollywood gives us the myths. It gives us the story of how we're supposed to view our society, our culture, individuals. Right. Yeah. So then in the, in the MK ultra, does that play a role with this whole thing with the mass mind control? There's some like really interesting government experiments that were done. And then you talk about how MK ultra might not be over. It might've just transitioned to something else. Right. So there was multiple uh, books that were written to expose MKUltra going all the way back to the 70s. Um, I read many, if not most of the exposés by journalists and historians and even people from like academia that were even loosely connected to it. Um, Even people who were uh, fans of MKUltra and and the LSD counterculture revolution like Tim Leary, they're all pretty candid about it if you if you really do some digging. And so it's not a conspiracy theory. This is a completely mm-hmm. verified thing. In fact, NPR last year did a whole huge write-up about what the real story of MKUltra was, and it admitted everything, um, which is ironic because they had said for so long that that was a crazy conspiracy theory, right? Mm-hmm. But um, So it, MKUltra does relate to pop culture, uh, although maybe not directly because originally the programs in the forties and fifties were under the auspices of the military to try to find a truth serum. And so Mm -hmm. the idea was if the military could get a hold of a specific chemical that would make 
the enemy spilled the beans, that would obviously be very useful. So they, they, they tried all kinds of drugs. They tried uh, LSD or excuse me, they tried THC first and they tried all these different variations and synthesis type, you know, ergots and whatnot. And then finally what they produced was LSD via uh, Abby Hoffman, via or Albert Hoffman, excuse me, and the uh, Sandoz laboratories and all that, which was again, directly working with the CIA and um, what they found was that this had a tendency sometimes to cause people to spill the beans, but it was also really promoting um, dissociation. In fact, that's one of the early things that John Marks notes in his book, citing Aldous Huxley, who I'm sure everybody knows was kind of pioneering the LSD stuff mm-hmm. way before everybody else in the, the 20s and 30s. Um, and he was actually working with the British elites, the British establishment to do that. And in fact, some people think that because Crowley was an attache for British intelligence, uh, an, an asset from MI5 that Crowley could have been um, pioneering MK ultra type work through his drug diary. Cause he wrote a famous book called drug diary and, and it's, you know, detailing these different experiences. And some people think that could have just been getting Intel for British intelligence on drugs and the use of drugs in uh, espionage anyway. So um, yeah. So basically Huxley takes it to the next level. And then uh, in the U.S., you get the OSS, uh, Naval Intelligence, Army Intelligence, different uh, Marines. Like They start working on this. It starts to spread to universities. And, and this is where it's really going on, is that dozens of universities are actually participating in the MKUltra experiments, which is, uh, it's all kinds of stuff, right? So mm-hmm. Project Monarch, Project Bluebird, right? The ones that people might've heard of that are kind of the more uh, well-known ones. They're just sub-projects of this big overarching project. And so some of it involved creating altars, mind control, uh, creating killers, uh, assassins. Uh, Phoenix Program is a, g- a good example of this, which is uh, seems to be directly connected to MKUltra. Um, this also relates to the serial killers. Why, when they come back from Vietnam, they're, uh, basically programmed killers who are set loose <laughs> domestically, it would appear in some cases at least. So, so yeah. Wasn't Ted can... Kaczynski involved in the MK ultra experiments too at college? Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we know at least one serial killer, uh, Gary Heidnick was involved in MK ultra. He's a famous American serial killer. Uh, he was in the, the military, and trained for some kind of um, assassin type programs. Arthur Shawcross is another serial killer who appears to have been assassin uh, in the Vietnam war. Um, uh, Ted Bundy. Uh, well, he didn't, he was, seems to have a connection to MK ultra through the university they attended. He actually stole some files from a professor who uh, was later uh, known to be a CIA um, asset Bundy also lived for a year with a guy who was a state department intelligence yeah, operative. So there's crazy. all these crazy connections yeah. that have only recently come to light that people don't know with all the serial killers. Um, Dahmer, uh, spent two, uh, he was stationed at a army base in Germany, 30 minutes away from the other serial killer, Gary Heidnick, who was stationed in Germany, who we know is in Keltra. So there's a good mm. possibility that, Bundy, or excuse me, Dahmer was uh, also in some kind of mind control program. Um, he was actually, wow. Dahmer was actually a suspect in some German murders, four or five people that were murdered around the time of his being stationed in Germany near his base. 
And the women uh, in this case were murdered in ways that are very reminiscent of the, the types of murders that uh, the Dahmer did. So uh, I think there's a good possibility that that's the case. Um, anyway, long story short, um, a lot of what they, what I think they were doing was studying the individuals in the MKUltra uh, research could then be expanded to uh, applications to the mass mind, because what you do on a microcosm scale, you can also expand and extrapolate to a micro, excuse me, to a macrocosm scale. Mm. So um, that's why it's useful for social engineering and for propaganda. And people just don't even know if you, if you read my second book, I included in the first chapter, people don't know how extensive um, Pentagon CIA FBI propaganda in movies is. In fact, uh, I quoted some authors that got a FOIA request that obtained um, 4,000 pages of leaked documents that include the Pentagon, CIA, FBI, et cetera, uh, insert, paying to insert messages, pro-government, pro-recruitment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, messages into um, 800 recent major films and 1,000 TV shows. Recently, everything this is from, recent. Everything, everything from uh, James Bond to Transformers, to the wow. Marvel and DC films, to Hawaii Five O, to America's Got Talent, Jay Leno, and even Cupcake Wars. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. So then, so the first three chapters of your book are all about Kubrick movies. Like, you got to be a fan of Kubrick. Right? I mean, even if you think that he's promoting something nefarious, like he's his movies are so fascinating, right? Yeah, sure. I, I like Kubrick. I think he's a great director. I mean, I think I don't think anybody would deny that that he's good i mean one of the things that they want to do is they'll recruit the best right i mean wouldn't you if you were the the deep state wouldn't you want to recruit the best people uh now i don't necessarily try to speculate on how far kubrick was you know evil or an insight i don't know but i mean some of the films seem to evidence like the later films at least a desire to kind of expose it especially something like eyes wide shut and, you know, he always includes themes like the child trafficking and that kind of stuff in his film. So, um, you know, his daughter, uh, you know, she she seems to be at least politically speaking to have some good ideas. So she I, I don't think that, again, every you can't paint with these really broad brushes of, oh, everybody's in on it or mm -hmm. everybody. I don't think that. I mean, I think people are, uh, you know, a mix of good and bad. There's gray area. Uh, it's not all one type of thing. So do you think Eyes Wide Shut, he was trying to show like this is some shit that's going on? Because how do you even get that? idea? I mean, I guess it's technically based on a book from 1926, but I mean, it does seem like a very odd thing to have these ritual ceremonies with. And in the movie, the well, guy I mean, says I that mean, it was everybody all. Everybody knows about Epstein. Everybody knows yeah. about the Dutro affair. Everybody knows about like countless cases of this kind of stuff actually going on now. And so, yeah, I think that Kubrick was exposed to these kinds of things. I'm not saying he did anything illegal. Uh, I'm just saying that he knew that this was what was, was going on. Uh, so yeah, I think that um, it's entirely plausible that, uh, you know, he exposed too much in that, in that movie. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know the exact, you know, I, I don't have any evidence of like a conspiracy. Right. Death, right? But one thing yeah. you did mention is that, um, you know, he used this front screen projection technique, which allowed mm -hmm. for a really highly realistic way to shoot these scenes right. for like 2001, a space odyssey and that NASA and the CIA were very interested in this technique. And that's, and so does that kind of where this conspiracy theory comes about that, that he taped the moon landing, that it was all fake. And right. what do you and think? You so don't think that's true or do you? 
I, I think it's possible, but again, I don't claim to know. Mm. Um, what, what I'm saying is that what we, what does appear to be the case is that he was very successful uh, with what he was doing. And we know the air force and NASA approached him to film stuff. Um, that's public information. That's not a theory. Mm-hmm. And then the deal was that if he, you know, helped out, like he could have projects, he could have, you know, kind of carte blanche. He could um, use the Zeiss lens, which is this like million dollar lens that was really rare. Hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's what he used on Barry Lyndon. So Barry Lyndon has this really unique look to the cinematography. It's kind of makes it kind of fuzzy and weird, like a dream. And I'm pretty sure that's because of the Zeiss lens that he, so anyway, so to get that lens, he had to kind of make a deal. And um, I suspect that perhaps like this was, this deal ended up being, you know, kind of worse down, down the road, because, you know, if you make, if you kind of make deals with the elite, like they don't, you have expectations of, you know, like you're going to go along. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go along, if you try to expose mm-hmm. stuff, try to tell the truth, right. Then they'll burn you. Gotcha. So maybe you got in too deep or something. I think that's very plausible. Okay. And then, um, you know, I thought this was interesting too. The Spielberg stuff was great too. And you talk about, I never heard this. Everyone knows that Orson Welles, the radio broadcast, the alien invasion war of the world, you know, it pretended to be a newscast, but it was actually a radio right. play. But you said, I've never heard this part that it was actually a scientific experiment by Princeton yeah. to see how people yeah. would react. I thought they just wrote the book about it afterwards, but they were in on it from the beginning is what you're saying. Yeah. It was a, uh, uh, Prince that was a social, uh, experiment to see how people would react to those kinds of stage scenarios. Um, there's a good, there's a good, uh, essay that so I've tried, I can't remember who wrote it many, many years ago about, uh, I think I cited it in the book, but it's talking about how it was connected to the Rockefeller, uh, research project. Um, so that's, I think the best explanation for that event was that, a lot of these things don't just happen randomly, right? I mean, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it just happens to happen. And then we'll, and then after the fact, they study it. No, yeah. it, was, it was an intentional psychological warfare uh, test because remember that, you know, cameras themselves come out of uh, a lot of military history, a lot of military use of the internet comes out of cryptography. A lot of the technology that we have comes from that world of uh, wartime intelligence, right? And, okay. um, and, and, information tech um and so you're not like radio itself has always been tied up in military and intelligence operations um even the heads of all the networks right they were originally in the oss right Mm -hmm. all the people that went to be the heads of the net so what i'm saying is that all these things are a lot more connected than we think so there's not going to be something like a big operation like what Orson Welles does that's just accidental or happenstance. It would hmm. anything like that would definitely be uh, probably planned. I would say. Yeah, and then it's interesting too. You talk with ET and both uh, that one and Close Encounters of the Third Kind that um, you know that there's a similarity between alien abduction and people being yeah. ritually abused in terms of kidnapping, experimentation, people being drugged, lost time. Uh, sexual abuse, bizarre costumes and scars. Occult. So you're saying there's a connection there that maybe either the people are, think they're being abducted by aliens or actually being ritually abused or um, what's going on there? Well, again, so in a lot of these instances, I don't think there's one simple explanation that explains everything. Uh, so there could be multiple things going on. I think when it comes to the UFO phenomena, there are multiple uh, layers of what is going on. 
And one of those layers is obviously the people who are lying or, or schizophrenic or crazy. I don't think it's a good explanation that every single person who claims to have had some kind of abduction or alien UFO experience is lying. Uh, so, uh, it's also possible that in some of these cases, people actually were experimented on. Uh, in fact, there are some people, I have a friend who's done a recent, uh, doing his, uh, dissertation actually on the possibility that some of these people uh, may have been subject to government style experiments. And if you think that's crazy, well, remember, I mean, we're talking about the people that we know have done MK ultra. Yeah. So if they're willing to do MK ultra, I mean, for example, uh, if you know about operation midnight climax, the CIA worked with the mafia to use a whorehouse uh, to, and they would, they would dose the Johns in the whorehouse unbeknownst to them. Right. Which is, that's pretty wild to think about just that. And it's very well known. It's famous saying Operation Midnight Climax. Now, if they're willing to do that to just sort of random people, what did they do? Someone willing to do that to other people, like yeah, to see. I mean, literally, it's mad scientists. Mad scientists will sit around and say, "Can we get people to uh, believe an alien narrative myth? Perhaps. How might we do that? What if we drug people with LSD and we stage a scenario that makes it feel like they're being abducted and, you know, maybe we'll have a little bit of fun and, uh, you know, poke some things in their butt or something. And then they'll come back and they'll tell the story. Right. I mean, I think that's a very plausible scenario for when I look at the pattern, the pathology of the way that the other uh, scientific so-called elite, the way they operate, what they talk about, there's a book called, uh, World as Laboratory by Rebecca Limoff. Um, it talks about MKUltra as well. So, yeah, once you understand that mindset, it makes perfect sense, like how that is explicable and similar to the cases of cults. You know about the deep history of the CIA and their connection to and actually running many cults. Uh, Wait, no, I didn't. See, you always drop the and you do the same thing in your book. You, you'll drop a bomb. And I'm like, and then you just move on. I'm like, wait, you got to tell me about well, no, this. Wait a minute. No, I cite all that stuff. In no, my you book. do. That's why I have the four. You do. So footnotes. You absolutely. Yeah, I should. I need. I, I just I kept Googling stuff as I'm reading this book. People definitely need to read this book. We're just scratching the surface. But yeah, tell me about the CIA and cults. I didn't hear about this. Well, not every cult, obviously. So people will take what you say out of context. Oh, sure, sure. No, no, no. Cults, you know? no, no. But there are that. some connections um, is what you're saying. Right. So there's uh, definitely intelligence connections to, and I, when I say CIA, there can also be other groups like Office of Naval Intelligence. There can be FBI that's directly connected to or running cults. Uh, but let's see. So uh, Jim Jones, there's a clear connection to uh, People's Temple and uh, the CIA at least seeming to uh, give seed money to start the, the People's Temple cult. Um, there have been many books actually written on that. That's not even new information. Um, let's see. Uh, there's some uh, curious connections to Berkowitz and Manson. Uh, Manson seems to have achieved some high-level Scientology, theta clear levels when he was in prison. And if you know about the history of Scientology, you know it comes out of the CIA and Naval Intelligence as well with Hubbard. Um, now, by the way, I'm not saying that the CIA literally runs every mm -hmm. cult, but that a lot of times people who... Uh, might be in a compartmentalized group or, or suction of the intelligence community are tasked with running or starting something. And so mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that everybody. Right. In the world is, well, you're saying there's, a, there's some connections. The same with the serial killer thing you were talking about earlier. There's Absolutely. just, there's some coincidences. No and connections, connections are not yeah. just 
loose tacit connections. It's mm-hmm. actually people who literally study psychological warfare or go into these operations to do this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. there's countless examples of it, but other cults that uh, clearly have a CIA or, or an intelligence type of connection would be uh, the order of the solar temple, a famous uh, suicide cult, um, direct connections to Caroli, uh, d- direct connections to international arms trafficking and drugs. Um, I think it's plausible that Osho's cult had intelligence connections uh, because they're, they're, they, there's nobody knows where they got their millions of dollars. Um, nobody mm. knows how they were able to traffic weapons. Well, newsflash, you can't do this if you don't have uh, intelligence aid right in doing these kinds of things. Right? You can't just traffic weapons at an right. international scale without some kind of protection. Um, now, those are not direct connections, but um, let me think. So uh, the CIA has used um, Islamic radicals in many cases. Uh, many of the Islamic leaders in, on an international scale uh, have have been or were attaches of the of the CIA. Uh, bin Laden himself famously was, um, as well as some of the other Al-Qaeda uh, ISIS type leaders uh, have uh, definitive uh, noted known CIA connections. Um, let me see who else. Uh, That's the nine eleven hijackers, for example. Many of them were were brought here under the auspices of being trained at um, <laughs> places in Florida to to fly fl- flight schools in Florida. Uh, they were tracked the whole time by the FBI. I mean, these are just examples hmm. of how wow. um, it's not just. I mean, other cults like you know. Uh, uh, radical Islamic groups, right? If you watch the the documentary, The Newberg Sting, that's all about uh, the FBI basically uh, coaxing and entrapping a radical mosque that basically they they put their operative in to handle and run the mosque. I mean, there's just countless wow. examples of it. The New York Times has done entire uh, uh, famous essays on how entrapment works using radical religious groups that includes cults. Uh, uh, Elohim City, uh, the FBI ran uh, El- uh elohim city they had the, their handlers there that that connects to timothy mcveigh um timothy mcveigh was sheep dipped uh, to be a black ops guy um i mean i can keep going but uh what you what you begin well, yeah. to realize is that a lot of these cults uh have had definite i mean if you look even at afghanistan the sufis nashkabanis uh, they were used by the cia uh to to traffic drugs um yeah, you talk about, you use the term shadow government. So there's a global government that controls everything, including the black market. So kind of like what you're say saying. They control everything. What's that? I didn't say they control everything. Oh, then the, they control many things or they control multiple things. Is, is that a better way to say that? But they control the financial markets, but also drug trade, sex trade, weapons, secret technology, cybercrime. So yeah, I, I know. The uh, Western Atlanticist establishment has the predominant level of power in the on the global sphere they control most things they control the international uh banking structure through the imf and the bis the bank for national settlements that's all covered in quigley's books uh at length so in that regard yeah they have the upper hand but i don't think that they literally control everything they don't control every call they don't control every Mm -hmm. event that occurs in the world they don't control all the world religions or every nation but the anglo-american establishment power block definitely has the upper hand and and i mean just look at in the last year how almost the entire year or the, the almost the entire globe adopted one whole thing, right? In regard to the Kufid. If there's not a if there's not an infrastructure already in place of a global power structure, how did the entire world adopt all these standards for the Kuf? 
So who do you think's behind that then? I mean, I covered a whole book uh, of one of the top guys who who talks about being behind this, right? The Davos Group, Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates. They openly talk about how they had this plan for decades. Wow. Uh, so wait, that's in that's in uh, one of your videos. So Klaus Schwab. So one of the things I do is I cover uh, the writings of the elite themselves, right? Mm. So they have a whole. They they usually write these things that they're going to do in policy papers and policy books, white papers, etc. So we've covered in the last four years about 40 or 50 writings of the top elite. One of those was Klaus Schwab's book, uh, Shaping, the F- the F- Shaping the Future, the Fourth Industrial Revolution by Klaus Schwab. So he's the head of the uh, Davos Group. That's another public liberal. It's like uh, Bohemian Grove, but for liberals. Okay? Okay. And so they're all technocrats. They're all uh, internationalists. They want a global government. And uh, yeah, they're absolutely behind the coof. They say it. Interesting. And then, so getting back to the book a little bit with the AI, you talk about transhumanism. This is different. This is, this was written five years ago. This is not transgender. This is actually like robots getting like human rights or cyborg modification. Like, do you mean like robot fully robots or humans with cyborg robotic parts inside of them or both? Holy above. I mean, the, I, the, I mean, this is a, uh, a, a term coined by Julian Huxley's brother, Al, uh, or excuse me, Aldous Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley. Julian wrote the philosophy of UNESCO. Philosophy of UNESCO says that most of the planet needs to die so that we can evolve to the next stage. It's in his, I've, it's one of the books I covered. Uh, mm-hmm. And he says that most humans need to die down to about what, 20, 15% can stay around. And then after that, by the way, all the elite believe this, they all write books on this. And then he says, whoever's left around, right, then, then they can uh, merge with computers, download into, you know, the cloud or whatever and live forever. So, yeah, it's 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 called the post-human era. They all write about it. Yeah. And you talk about that with Minority Report, report uh, the digitization of books and medical records like Apple Watches. This is not done for efficiency, but this is for total mind control, loss of free will complete rewrite of all past reality. You talk about in 2009, I didn't even know this, Amazon erased Orwell's 1984. And you say that nothing will be sacred. Everything's going to be revised. And you wrote this five years ago, which is kind of weird because I think we're seeing a little bit of that. I think everyone would agree. There's there's definitely some things being rewritten or banned or censored. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, uh, Bertrand Russell said 100 years ago, he's one of the the key planners of this technocracy. He wrote two books that I've covered in depth, part of that series I mentioned, uh, Impact of Science on Society and Scientific Outlook. And in both of those books, he says you're going to have a planetary regime that's based around mass depopulation. You'll be forcibly uh, stabbed. Uh, you will be tracked and traced. You'll be given a universal basic income. Um, the arts will disappear as you know it. Uh, you will not have free access to any arts. You won't read the Bible. You won't read Shakespeare. You won't read the classics. You will be taught by computers, and it will all be uh, forced down your throat. It will be a planetary dictatorship run by computers. That's some scary stuff. They wrote that 100 years ago. That's some scary uh, stuff. Read, read the writings of H.G. Wells, The New World Order, Open Conspiracy, Bertrand Russell's books. Read uh, uh, anything by H.C. Wells' fiction. It all talks mm-hmm. about this. Read uh, Brave New World. That's what Brave New World is about. Yeah, and then you talk about this, and I'm sure this is a, you know, obviously a lot of people know about this kind of stuff too, but you talk in the book, this again, this is five years old, but Samsung even admitted, it, it, the largest manufacturer of television, tells customers in the privacy policy that personal or other sensitive conversations will be among the data kept captured and transmitted to a third party. 
through the TV's voice recognition software. That's kind of creepy. So their, their TVs are listening to conversations and transmitting that somewhere. Right. I mean, it's sold, right? So it's, it's, it's part of the scam of big data where they, they buy this or they collect all this and then they sell it on one level to, uh, you know, companies to market to you, right? Uh, targeted advertising. But that's not the only level at which this is going on. There's a deeper plan long term. Uh, for AI, for uh, global government, right? It relates to all of that stuff as well, to what I'm talking about with transhumanism and the technocracy. And this has all been publicly stated by these people a long time ago. I learned about this in 2003 or four, I think. Uh, and I started looking at the transhumanist philosophers and their ideas. And I remember this goes all the way back to actually to the 20s and 30s. Technocracy was a kind of a fringe political movement classed under socialism back at that time. Uh, and it kind of got forgotten by, for a while, and then it got sort of revived and picked up by some of the British elites, people like Huxley, uh, people like, uh, you know, the people behind UNESCO, the philosophy of UNESCO, those kinds of circles, the Tavistock Institute. And it kind of started making a comeback. And by the time that it was evident that computers were going to have a huge impact on society, especially when back in the 60s, they had invented the, the Internet with ARPANET. And uh, the middle of Quigley's book, he has a whole chapter about how in the future managerial society, computers and AI will run everything. And so he wrote that back in the 60s, writing from the policy papers of the top elite, the Council on Foreign Relations. He was the archivist for the Council on Foreign Relations. That book was written for CIA section chiefs during the Cold War to explain to the CIA people, why are we funding communists? Why are we funding socialists? I thought we're pro-American. And the whole point is that because the long-term game is a global government, it's not about these stupid ideologies of capitalism and communism in the, in the end game down the road. It's about a global technocratic government, which will neither be a socialist nor communist. It yeah. So, right. So going back to the minority report, you say, cause in that movie, it's this uh, telepathic girl, Samantha Morton, she's in a tub of goo and she's predicting right. these crimes, but it's not, it's, we're already seeing this. It's this Google and it's like the internet and the, taking our information and then using technology to predict yep. what we're going to do, right? Is that, and that's, that was already done back when Isaac Asimov wrote Foundation. If you read the Foundation series, yeah. Asimov says it, that's projected into the future. And in the, in the empire's uh, AI system, the empire, the space empire has an algorithm that's been developed that can track mass movements. So amazingly, like decades before there was anything like Google, Isaac Asimov actually wrote that into his story. So there's many, many, many verified examples of, you know, science fiction writers projecting decades ahead of time, this kind of technology. And so, you know, Minority Report's another great example of that. Yeah, that um, pre-crime, uh, uh, again, mass predictive algorithms, all this stuff, has been in the minds of the technocrats for a long time, but it's just now beginning to roll out. And one of the theses of the book that I that I um, that I wrote was a was that was that really the predictive programming has the effect of kind of warming us up to acceptance, right? So yeah, and also it's put into fiction yeah. ahead of time, and then when it rolls out, oh yeah, or, oh, it's going to be like it was. It's going to be fun. It was science fiction, you tell it'd be like Star Trek, dude. No, because like th then, so then you talk about in Blade Runner, how like they're using that for control. So they have these replicants and then you, mm -hmm. you, you reference a, a memo from the project artichoke, which I think is 
an offshoot of MK Ultra where, yes, and it, it said is. something in there, can we get control of an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation? That's some scary shit. Yeah, suicide programming. In fact, uh, there does appear to be evidence that um, in the MK Ultra programs and then, uh, you know, in many of the cases of like serial killers, they'll commit suicide. And uh, I, I think there is a, a suicide programming. Um, some of the closest things, if you, some of the MK Ultra doctors, by the way, have books like Dr. Jose Delgado has a, his book is still attainable it's called physical control of the mind uh, you can read dr john c Lilly's books about mind control and mk ultra and lsd he's i'm saying they're mk ultra doctors and their books are still you can still buy their books i read them uh we did multiple lectures on um, Lilly's books uh lily did uh, uh programming and metaprogramming in the human biocomputer and in that book he talks about um instilling different programs through lsd into the human mind and he did this on children too by the way he talks about it in the book mind controlling children now he doesn't say oh i program them with suicide but he mm -hmm. i mean why wouldn't he he talks about doing everything else to them mm -hmm. so i think it's very plausible that there could be a um a suicide program yeah um, but yes uh, that would be suggested in artichoke as well and this is another interesting, um, going to the Bond stuff. So Quantum of No Solace, the, the uh, character there, Dominic Green, he mm. talks about, this is a really interesting take where, uh, and this is apparently came out of the Nazi regime where people pretend to, they're, they're pretend to care about nature and environment, but really what they're trying to do is control precious natural resources. Well, yeah. I mean, doesn't Gil Bates uh, say this every day and now he's the top owner of farmland? I thought farms were like, individual farms were damaging mother earth and now gil bates owns uh the most farmland in the u.s of anybody right so is that what's going on with our with some of our politicians because i'm seeing a lot of this yeah, this green movement i mean it's it's a, it's a, it's an obvious scam right it's not because they care about the earth it's because they want the earth <laughs> yeah and it they makes you, you wonder and they want the earth yeah that's some scary stuff for sure crazy um Oh yeah, tell me, talk about this. Um, you kind of just—I'm talking about Bill Gates, by the way. That, I always call him Gil Bates. Oh, Gil, <laughs> Gil Bates. That's funny. Um, yeah, he's the number one. He's the largest farm owner in America. Well, okay, that's interesting. You mentioned this just briefly, and when you were talking about some of the Hitchcock stuff, North by Northwest, you said Jimmy Stewart was rumored to do intelligence work for the FBI. I did not well, hear this one. No rumored. In fact, I confirmed it um, oh. via the archives at. Um, Laurel Canyon Studios archives. Somebody find, after I'd written my book, somebody dug up old archives and put them on uh, YouTube. They're, so they're public information. You can go watch um, Jimmy Stewart filming FBI propaganda pieces at Laurel Canyon. Yeah, that Laurel Canyon thing you mentioned that that's an interesting place because it was used by Hollywood and the Air Force, and it's. Kind of like intro, like why would they share a studio? That's a little interesting. So because they've always been partners. That's the thing that, that that's what a lot of this research turned up was that you know I was I had no idea when I started studying this topic for you know at the academic level I, I had no idea of the levels of interconnectedness mm -hmm. and overlap, uh, and that's what you get here is that uh, you know not just in a few sparse cases but in many cases right in many cases. Yeah. Uh, famous actors, even sports stars have been intelligence agents. 
That's so like Operation Mockingbird is another thing you mentioned where the CIA bought off the top 400 journalists. That's crazy. And uh, you wonder if that's famous, still going on. That's not, that's old, by the way. That's yeah, the old, uh, the old know, one. Uh, uh, Woodward and Bernstein. That's what made them famous for, mm-hmm. for, for breaking that story. And by the way, it didn't end because uh, there was a Udo Kier, I think it was his name, was a German journalist who uh, went on Russia today four or five years ago and said that it's still the case in Germany. Okay. That the CIA wow. uh, pays for the, and he ended up dead the next year. Yikes. Well, so, and then you talk about this and again, uh, this is not, this is more theory stuff. We don't know if we have facts, but there's a theory that rehab for some of these celebrities may be used as some sort of programming, like with Britney Spears, that that's a weird, there's some weird stuff going on. And apparently she dated a, a, a not CIA, a psyops person. Is that what it's called? She dated a military uh, guy for a while who did have some kind of role in Afghanistan as some kind of black ops guy. Um, he may have been psyops. I don't remember. It's You can find that article at the Daily Mail. They mm-hmm. wrote that many years ago. Um, yeah, the, uh, there. I've not found knockdown evidence that any of the uh, rehab or uh, psychiatry sociological centers like that are reprogramming centers but it's very plausible because many of those um many of those centers do connect to doctors and people involved in mk ultra mm-hmm. i mean the, the kind of the most shocking thing is that mk ultra was way more widespread than you, than you would think i mean mm-hmm. dozens of universities and a lot of people who are you know uh professors they also right they might go do this stuff uh, on as a side job or open up a private practice right um, to, to so-called help people or something like that. So it's very possible, very plausible, but I've not found any definitive proof yet that, but, but a lot, again, a lot of the MK ultra doctors were MDs were, um, psychiatrists, sociologists, and engineers, people mm-hmm. involved in engineering and chemistry. And this, and here's another one that was interesting that you talked about, uh, screenwriter, Gary DeVore. He, this guy wrote a uh, raw deal and time cop and he might have been working with the CIA and he was yeah, found. Is he the guy that got his hands chopped off? Yeah, his severed yeah, hands. Yeah. And uh, he was killed in a way. Uh, yeah, I mean, because he, supposedly he was supposed to deliver a script that explained the real reason that the U.S. invaded Panama. And then he, yeah. he died in a car wreck. The script was missing and the cops couldn't figure out like how the car ended up. I think it was in a yeah. lake or something. Yeah, and his hands were cut off. So what was that yeah, about? Yeah, that sounds like a kind of a, uh, a contract killing. I mean, uh, when you see these kinds of, by the way, if you study the mafia, that's kind of another thing I've been studying lately is the mob. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's how, and obviously I, I, everybody, by the way, knows that the mob ties in Hollywood, right? I mean, there's like a dozen, dozens of movies about the mob in Hollywood, right? Yeah. So I have to ask you about this too. So that this is a big hot topic lately is the, uh, the, the ped- pedophile ring with Hollywood. And, uh, I don't, are you familiar with Isaac Cappy and that story, how he was supposedly going to reveal this massive Hollywood pedophile ring. And then he committed. I did, yeah, I did a video at the time. Um, okay. I, I don't know how true or false his claims are. I think that some of what he said was uh, suspicious. Some of what he said was true. Uh, but beyond that, I don't have, I don't have much comment on that. Like, do you think, cause they also said the same thing, Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, Bennington uh, from Lincoln park, these guys, it's always like, they're about to blow the lid on this uh, Hollywood pedophile ring. Do you think people maybe make that up after they die or is there truth to some of this? Well, the problem with some of these things is that there is uh, 
there's a mix of information and disinformation. So, mm. and disinformation will use true aspects and events to cloud and fuzzy the narrative to distract. And this is actually a PR trick where like if I was, if, if some scandal was going to come out about me, let's say, if let's say I was a politician and I knew some scandal was going to come <clears> out, let's say I was, I was busted at a whorehouse as a politician. Um, if I went and I contacted my PR team to do damage control, one thing the PR team might do is say, all right, what we need to do is get ahead of this leak. Uh, we know this is going to come out. So what we're going to do is go ahead and, and head them off of the pass. And we're going to leak that you were there, but we're going to throw in some crazy stuff like, uh, you know, you were there and the guy who uh, is leaking this is going to be this crazy character who's a, uh, I don't know, he, he believes in aliens and he thinks that the the aliens were running the whorehouse. So now what you've done is like you've destroyed this whole story and made it ridiculous, right? So that when the real story comes out two weeks from now about me being at the whorehouse as a politician, it's already been clouded with the nonsense and people think, Oh, that's that story of that crazy guy who said that aliens were running a whorehouse. This is a real PR thing. Mm-hmm. Like this is how PR, this is what you do to, when you hire a PR team to manage huh. the scandal. It's pretty smart in a way, not necessarily no, ethical, clever, but, course, yeah. but I mean, this is what people get paid to do, right? There's actually a movie with uh, Jessica Chastain about this. Um, I forget what it is, but it's I one think that I saw that one. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's one where she uh, works at a PR firm that controls and and manages scandals and this is what they do for somebody in that movie but but yeah so that so that that's a real thing and and uh you know there's people who are specialists at doing this kind of stuff right people who worked in espionage uh, people who worked in uh, counterintelligence psychological warfare i mean they know how to advertising they know how to do this kind of stuff so um so it's really it's and, and people love to speculate. They love to think about like the most wild outlandish stuff. We, we don't have to speculate about wild, crazy, outlandish things, all this QAnon crap, which, by the way, I said in 2017 right away that QAnon was fake. I made a whole uh, two hour video about it being BS. Um, I mean, we can go to known cases where this is this has happened. Right. We don't have to speculate. We know about Nexium. We know about John of God. We know about. Epstein, we know about Savile, we know about Sandusky, we know about the Finders, we know about the Dutro affair, we know about all these real cases. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, it's real. Yeah. And we don't have to sit around and speculate about it. That's true. The, the, the truth is shit. really interesting, but it does seem with the media, it seems to have ramped up the last few years. It seems like the TMZ style news reporting is very popular. Do you think is that more about ratings or is there more like a nefarious motive there? Is there something else going on? Wait, can you can you rephrase that question? What now? Well, like what? with the with the media, it just seems like it's all about. Um, God, I, somebody sent me an article today about. Um, I, I mean, it was Biden's dog took a dump in the White House or something. I'm like, why is this a news story? Like, why everything seems to be kind of like a TMZ style news yeah. story now? Like, do you think is there something? Why is that just for ratings? Or are they trying to? Is that some sort of something going on? You think there's a darker motive? Uh, no, I think it's always. I mean. There's there's always been the attempt to deflect, distract, uh, dump people down. I mean, that's that's a real thing. I mean, I would just say that number one, that's safe, right? It's clickbaity. It's safe. Uh, journalism has been re- because of all the censorship has been reduced to uh, essentially just being PR. So you can only be a blue check journalist if you do PR for the system. Huh. So well, uh, it's interesting. Those kinds of, those kinds of stories. Yeah 
uh, are safe and they're okay. also just worthless waste of time. Right. Well, and it's interesting with the censorship and the cancellation, you, you actually got demonetized on YouTube because, and you think it was because yeah, it was they about don't, eight months ago, yeah. they don't tell you why they just said controversial content, but they didn't explain which video or which content or what about the content. And you no, thought it was uh, the religious and, stuff that you posted or I don't think it was the religious stuff. Uh, typically the only types of censorship that have gone down on YouTube are about political topics. So, mm. um, so if you monetize your channel, uh, there's more concern over what you talk about. Mm. Uh, so, as as people know, right, there have been waves of uh, sort of demonetization and deleting, right, of whole channels over the last uh, four years, especially during the Trump administration. So um, I think I just got included in a, a wave of people that were getting demonetized because of talking about uh, it could be anything. I mean, it could mm-hmm. be jokes. It could be talking about serial killers. It could be talking about who knows anything. But that, I don't typically yeah. do a whole lot of political content. So. Okay. Does that scare you at all that, that you're, I mean, I used, I guess you still have the channel though. So you're still able to, to broadcast from there and then you can uh, lead people to your well, website. I've had my web- own website for yeah. the whole time. In fact, though, we've done many podcasts over the last several years. Um, um, and we've discussed the coming censorship. So, so, I mean, if you know, from the book, I talked about how everything's going to be eventually shut down everything's going to be locked down. So, uh, I prepared for this a long time ago, um, years ago. So no, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I expect it, but one positive thing, uh, uh, in the midst of all this, a bright shining piece of hope is that there are some competitive groups and, and, mm. uh, platforms that have started as a result of all this, like Rockfin. So I just, uh, got a kind of a deal going with Rockfin where uh, I have a lot of my material is also over there. Okay. And so, and I'm, and I'm also doing a lot of um, exclusive content on Rockfin. So people can okay. sign up there. And the advantage of Rockfin is that if you sign up over there, you get access to everybody. So it's like oh. a flat fee and okay. you get all of the, like Whitney Webb, uh, Sam Tripoli, my buddy, Tristan, um, Isaac Y shop, like a lot of the people that, you know, you probably see me do interviews with, yeah, uh, yeah. so there, those, so there's some good things that are happening like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, thankfully I still do have the YouTube channel. I, I would like to keep it. It is a great way to reach a lot of people and it's grown a lot. So absolutely. What about, um, so aliens, aliens and UFOs, um, you, I think you, you guys talked a little bit about maybe possible that they're interdimensional beings. Uh, but I noticed the media has kind of treated aliens differently the last few years too. Like, are they softening us up for kind of like an alien disclosure or are they prepping us, prepping us for it to be a fake alien false flag kind of thing to scare us? Or what, what do you think's going on there? Uh, yeah, I think it's an engineered thing for uh, the creation of a new worldview and a new paradigm that will fit into uh, transhumanism, especially. Um, I think that, in fact, I dug up white papers that discussed this from the 60s, where the Brookings Institute said that it would be a good way to totally alter all of society to bring it into that technocratic um, world. Uh, in other words, using this this uh, staged alien invasion narrative or the discovery of alien life or disclosure uh, I, I don't personally believe in the existence of extra biological entities. I think it's possible that there are interdimensional spirits or entities of demons or angels, something like that. But I don't believe that there's like beings like ET on other planets that have, you know, flown here and then they ran out of gas and crashed their <laughs> space car. I think that's all ridiculous, but 
um, it does work to create a new narrative that's useful to the global power structure. Uh, and there's a good documentary actually that covers this called Mirage Men. Uh, I recommend everybody watch Mirage Men if they're interested yeah. in the topic. I heard you mention that another one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely check that out. So then. So by the way, I mentioned Klaus Schwab, the head of Davos, right? This big international liberal version of uh, Bohemian Grove. He, uh, he, he has openly been talking about how, uh, just like with what you've seen in terms of the lockdowns and the coming technocratic order, he even says, expect the uh, alien disclosure. So here, I mean, multiple global elites have said this is coming. Well, yeah. And you said NASA is a PR front for the air force and it's tied to Hollywood. Like when Ridley Scott's uh, Mars movie, it came out right around the same time that the NASA stuff about Mars came out. And then this was interesting too. You mentioned James Cameron sits on the board of directors at NASA. That's kind of an odd coincidence. Uh, And it just came out. Somebody sent me an article a couple of days ago uh, that Tom Cruise is now working directly with NASA for filming projects. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) What does Tom Cruise have to do with, with space and aerospace? I mean, it's like, and by the way, what did I also put in the book? Kubrick. Yeah, of course. Kubrick working. So in other words, it's not new. This has been going on the whole time. Okay. So then back up. So you say you don't believe in the aliens, but you believe in these interdimensional demons or, or something. What is that that you, what do you believe in then? What is, what well, are these I'm things? I'm a Christian. So I have a, a Orthodox Christian perspective on the world and, and I don't believe in extra biological entities, but I think that there are spiritual entities. Yeah. And what would those things look like? Is it, are you talking kind of more like ghosts or is it just like they take over a, a body kind of like when people are Yes. Uh, I mean, like, for example, the people that are really into the the pedophilia networks and the high level ritual magic, uh, I think that they genuinely get possessed. Uh, a lot of the serial killers and their descriptions of what they've gone through, what they experience, they describe it as dissociation. They describe it as being taken over. I think a lot of the serial killers are possessed. In fact, I'm making a video today about how um, the, the media has like totally like ignored and covered up the fact that most of the the top serial killers i've got a list right here of 22 of the top serial killers themselves were involved in satanism cults uh, and to varying degrees talk about demonic possession now the media will in little bits and pieces mention it here and there but no, 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 don't ever look at it. In other words, the, the, the story or the pattern that we have as a serial killer, right, is not, it's, it's wrong. There's a whole other profile of what really is the case with serial killers that's pretty fascinating that uh, Dave McGowan wrote a good book about called The Program to Kill. Um, anyway, but my point is that, yeah, so I think that uh, if, you, if you look at the Orthodox Christian perspective on angels and demons, you'll see that demons are disembodied fallen angels disembodied spirits that do try to inhabit human uh, bodies and human hosts. They try to influence humans to do evil things. Um, And that just happens to fit perfectly with even, even modern secular psychologists, by the way, uh, there's so much evidence of the demonic and of, of the satanic in the lives of the serial killers that even modern secular psychologists are forced to admit this. And I can just go look up psychology today all the different essays and articles by the psychologists and the, and the psychiatrists there that talk about uh, Satanism amongst the, and, and the demonic amongst the, uh, the serial killers. So, but they are drawn to that for a reason. Like, do they already have that sure. in, inherently in them to connect? Well, with I don't these? think evil is inherent to anybody. I think that it's, 
kind of something that results at times from trauma. I think a lot of the serial killers were raised in either evil families, severely dysfunctional families, or actually in generational cults, many of them. So they're actually already kind of prepped for this. For example, in the case of uh, Son of Sam, Berkowitz claims to have been raised in a, a generational satanic cult. He was adopted, but he was claims to have been put into this sort of lifelong programming to be a, a trained killer. He was he was in a killer cult, and they were wow. raising kids to kill. And if you think that's outlandish, uh, I'm sorry, but this is actually the norm in history. Governments have raised children to be killers for millennia. Hey, yeah, didn't you say that um, some of the serial killers, it's been documented that they had help? I think, uh, was it John Wayne Gacy or somebody that had, like, accomplices? Many of them, in fact, uh, are known to have had accomplices. Uh, for example, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng, that's a, a known accomplices. In the case of uh, Henry Lee Lucas, him and Otis Toole, accomplice. In the case of Manson, accomplices. Uh, in fact, Manson didn't even kill himself. Right. Yeah. Himself didn't Manson's kill definitely so got accomplices. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, yes. The most recently, uh, the, by the way, uh, David Parker Ray, everybody forgets this guy. He was one of the worst. He's a tor- toy box killer. He created a Satan's den that was a tortured, like a trailer that was a tortured den. Uh, he was also a Satanist and ran a small Satanic cult with four uh, accomplices. His accomplice girlfriend is just now about to get out of jail. Um, but yes, so uh, let's see, most of them, there's evidence of accomplices, not every case, but most of them. And even the ones that there's not evidence of accomplices, there's, there's, it seems very implausible that they could have done as many murders as they did without some kind of police overlooking it or allowing it, or perhaps even um, some of the police being involved in some cases. So why would um, the police yeah. be involved or, or the guy you're saying it's like the deeper, the government is involved. Cause are they like trying to train these people? Like so in the case of, well, so in the case of, um, well, I got news for you. Uh, police officers can be corrupt. <laughs> I mean, you probably know that, but <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But I mean, but isn't it, you were saying, cause you were saying earlier, some of the government, it's like maybe they, they were training some of these people to be killers for them to maybe. No, I, I didn't say the government. Or, sorry. So, the CIA. Uh, in some places, yes. So, okay. like, one serial killer, Wayne Williams, has implied that he, when he was asked directly if he was a contract killer for the government, um, he implies that he was. Uh, he says he can't go into it because it was still, it's like a CNN interview where he says that. But, hmm. uh, yeah, many many of these killers are known to have been uh, contract killers. So, it's not that, and, and if that sounds outlandish, well, remember that the mafia had a whole group called Murder, Inc., that was 250 contract killers that worked for the mob. This is right. a well-known fact of history. So uh, if you, if the mafia has a guild of contract killers, right. <laughs> that 250 that they can call upon. Don't you think uncle Sam has uh, access to more than the mob? Well, of course he does. Um, but in, 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 in the case of uh, the CIA, there's known programs uh, like the Dr. Thomas Nehru uh, office of Naval intelligence program that was involved in profiling and creating serial killers or uh, trained assassins. That's a Navy program. And then there's also the Phoenix program. So these are documented, clear examples of, in the case of the Phoenix program, um, cannibals. They wanted cannibals to commit acts of cannibalism. But so did they, or is it just botched when it was happening here on, or do they want it to happen here on U S soil? Well, that's more speculative. Uh, I don't know of a specific plan that like, 
the CIA said, oh, let's loose the serial killers on the American public so yeah. we can engineer society. But uh, it is plausible that there are people who worked in psychological warfare who were high-level Satanists like Michael Aquino. He was the Army's head of PSYOPs. I mean, he, he would often oftentimes talk about doing these kinds of things to the American public. He was a complete psychopath. Oh, this is crazy. So does this stuff keep you up at night? Like, how do you, I mean, you know so much. Does so it scare I, when you? When I first got into the stuff, yes, it was pretty dark. Um, <laughs> but I'm kind of acclimatized to it now where it's, it okay. doesn't, it's kind of like, you, f- it feel, you feel like an investigator where it's like you've studied it. You're like some grizzled old detective or something. <laughs> like, it's not really, bo- it doesn't bother yeah. me like it did when I first learned this stuff. And and a lot of people talk about that there's a process. Like, you'll first you, you, you're like scared and then you go into denial and then you go into a kind of a, a, a fear and then, and then you go into acceptance and then you kind of get over it. But um, yeah, the, the, the evidence is pretty overwhelming for all this stuff that I'm talking about. So do you have any advice for the average person that anything that we can do to kind of, uh, prevent some of these things or everything's just coming and there's nothing we can do? No, I mean, uh, I don't think there's a political solution. I mean, you did say something about that, being self-sufficient that that was, but that was important. That's definitely. A, a, yeah. a, a, I mean, so I would say there's, there's solutions at different levels, right? Mm-hmm. So is there any big political nationwide solution? No, I don't think so. Unfortunately, I'm too black pill for that. Can individuals do things at a, at their own level to be uh, kind of protected? And, and yeah, absolutely. You can, you can, know how to handle yourself. You can be proficient in self-defense. You can have self-defense <laughs> items, right? Uh, the, the, the <laughs> okay. Guns, et cetera. I mean, yeah. you can uh, uh, own Bitcoin, you can own gold, you can own your own land. Uh, and then I think you can, you know, try to have your own food sources and also, um, you know, try to have local family and friends. Don't rely on the internet. Uh, don't spend too much time video gaming and this kind of stuff. And then I advocate for, you know, looking into the Bible and, and uh, healthy spiritual solutions. I'm an Orthodox Christian. So that's my solution uh, spill. Okay. Well, sounds good. Well, this stuff has been fascinating. I, I've really enjoyed it. I got a lot of Googling more to do because you're mentioning all these books that I want to check out. So um, will you come back and come on the show again another yeah, time? Thank you so yeah, much. Because you have um, the second book of the Esoteric Hollywood, which I haven't read yet. And then I think... You said you're working on a third book called Meta Narratives. Is that right? Yeah, the third book is going to be a lot of uh, collected essays on different topics. So okay. there'll be one section of movie analysis. There'll be a section of philosophy, a section on numbers, a section on cults and the occult and alchemy, uh, and then another section on just random, crazy, silly stuff. Okay, well, it's fascinating. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. I, I know I have a lot of friends who are excited to listen to this. So Yeah, and, and by the way, if you do want to get like the second book, yes. uh, for those that are watching, right, you can go to the shop at Jay's Analysis so that we don't send money to Bezos. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get anything <laughs> right. if you buy it from Bezos. But okay. If you get it from my website, you get signed copies, and we, we sign every copy. Uh, my wife has books for sale, too, that oh. are similar topics. So okay. her, her books are really cool, too. I helped her write uh, yeah. some of the second book. but And you have um, a website, and then you also have a, uh, the podcast, right? Your own podcast. Right. So the website, you if you subscribe there, you get access to all the lectures, the part twos. So I do most of my content kind of half and half. Okay. You get access to the part two. And then um, have a TV show that we did on the basis of the books at Gaia TV that's separate. I have a Rockfin now where I'm, I'm putting the exclusive content on Rockfin and then I have my YouTube channel. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Dude. Anytime. Good okay. Chat. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Well, my mind is officially blown. That's definitely going to keep me up at night. And I think I have more questions now than answers and also a lot of homework to do. So crazy. Well, Jay said he didn't know anything about charity, so I should pick one. So I'm just going to choose St. Jude's Children's Hospital since many of my guests have chosen that one. So if you can throw a few bucks their way, the site will be in the notes along with Jay's website where you can buy his books and check out some of his other material. Again, I have a lot of research to do. And if you enjoyed this episode, check out some of my other interviews. Uh, the one with my dad, Roger Shute, who's also an author. Uh, you also might really enjoy that one. It might be right up your alley if you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to support the show, you can like, share, comment, subscribe to the podcast. I would appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember to shoot for the moon. <laughs>